Welcome to Cafecito, a podcast dedicated to fostering connection and empowerment within the Hispanic and Latin American community. One of the first things when I started interviewing with AM that everyone mentioned to me was how entrepreneurial it was. And it was interesting because as I've been at the firm now for almost two years, folks have continued to say that. Like you have, I mentioned to you that when we heard Tony speak and we heard uh, Tom speak and everybody else, they said they were all saying the same thing. Is that something that happened because of the way that the firm started? Or do you think it's something that they that you guys really intentionally tried to maintain throughout the years to be able to keep that spirit at the company the whole time? It's Tony and Brian. I mean, no doubt about it. I, I think that that was the culture that they came in mind with, and that's the culture that they have basically instilled in all of us. And I think if, if you were to hear Tony, he, he would tell you that one of one of the reasons why we've been so good is because of the consistency we've had the leadership team, knowing each other, you know, being able to call each other and just the lack of bureaucracy, right? So if I need something, if I have an idea or something, I can call Tony and, and you know, take care of it in five minutes. I might not get the answer I want, but I'll get a result in five minutes. So I think that that certainly comes from them. They instilled it. Uh, we appreciate it as leaders, and then we try to instill that in, in all of our folks. So they, they, they're they the ones that really deserve the credit for instilling that and keeping it here and making sure that we're not adding, you know, when, when Tony does a lot of the, when he does the reviews with the vision heads or Brian, one of the things they're trying to make sure is that you're not creating bureaucracy, make sure that you keep adhere to, to our, our core values and our principles. And they, they do a very good job of doing that. That was a great answer too, since we're recording it, we can always show them later that, hey, Ernie's Ernie's consistent with the message, right? <laughs> <laughs> I knew that beforehand, just kidding, just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you think that's gonna be hard to make? Let me rephrase that question. How hard is that gonna be to maintain and how do you see us maintaining that as we continue to get, you know, from 100 million to your point to, you know, north of 3 billion? Yeah, listen, it's, it's, the, biggest, it's the biggest concern or challenge that we think we have is as we continue to grow. If, if you look, if I go back to the global leadership meeting we had earlier this year with all the global leaders, we feel pretty comfortable that we can probably double in the next three or four years. And that doubling, a big chunk of that doubling will come from folks that are coming up the ranks. But also to capture that opportunity, we're going to have to need external hires. So how do you hire folks that share the same core values, share the same principles? So managing that is very important for us. Um, I got to tell you, from 500 that we were when I started to 6,500 today, I don't feel much of a difference. I still feel that we're nimble. I still feel that we can execute, you know, really quick. There, by by definition, you got to have more infrastructure, right? That, because the more you grow, you got to have some bureaucracy. Bureaucracy is a bad word, but you got to have some bureaucracy. So it's it's balancing that bureaucracy with 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 the growth that really is our biggest challenge. I think you can do it. Uh, we've, we've been able to do it. And I think we've been able to do it because we've kept the structure lean. I mean, we're not creating layers and layers of, 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 of processes that we got to go through. Um, but certainly it, it becomes more challenging and you got to put some some rigor uh, behind behind the organization, especially when, you, when you're going, you know, listen, we just opened up an office in Australia, Vietnam, Indonesia, Malaysia. And you know, Colombia just opened up recently. So you know, you're 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 growing. So you need to have some rigor to make sure that you maintain that. 
it almost seems like though to your point you want to be just a little bit below a little bit always a little light on the bureaucracy right catching up, you're catching up yeah, yeah 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 exactly yeah great so uh, i want to come back to miami where we talked about at the beginning for a little bit a uh, recent article shows that miami's venture capital pipeline has grown 400 percent in the last year yeah. and today it's being called the number one place in the world for tech job growth what's it been like for you being in miami watching this since 2020 and since we know um, some people may know mayor francis suarez has had a big part of that COVID yeah. is a part of that and i want to hear would love to hear what, what you've been seeing yeah no it's it's a it's, it's been a great story uh watching it uh and living in it now uh, it's interesting i don't know if you saw the article that came out actually earlier this week on bloomberg uh on ken griffin did you see that article we, we were talking about it last week but i didn't yeah. read the article yet. Yeah. yeah so the article came out ken griffin talking about him and his view of Miami becoming Wall Street South, right? And uh, but I think going to your to your direct question, I'll share that article with you, and, and you can share it with the team. But um, so there there already was Miami had always been a place where flight capital came, right? But it wasn't permanent capital. It started changing even pre-COVID. You, you started seeing, for example, the tech the tech hub that was really being created here in South Florida. Um, now it had its challenges because you didn't have the infrastructure right. You didn't have the talent that you were seeing in Silicon Valley. The the financial, the backing, the you know, the BC type of banks weren't weren't around. So, but you certainly saw that, and you saw also some of the migration of folks coming down from up north uh, and making Miami their permanent place of of, of residence. That picked up tremendously uh, during the COVID period. I mean, listen, you got Steve Cohen, who point seventy two down here. You got. You mentioned, I mentioned uh, Ken Griffin. You have Founders Fund right uh, here now. Um, so um, you're, you're 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 seeing folks advocate. You know, this is the place to be. And it's not only Miami. It's Palm Beach. It's Boca, and it's for all those. Basically, South Florida. Uh, you're seeing the law firms, Kirkland Ellis, Winston and Strong, Tilly Austin, major law firms that have never been here, opening up basically their offices here. So. Uh, the question that people keep asking is, is it going to last? Is it permanent? And and uh, unlike any other time that I've seen, you know, Miami sort of prosper, um, I have a different feel for it here because it's going into infrastructure. You're seeing the talent come down here. Um, you know, you have those folks that sort of, you know, push against it because it's changing too rapidly. But I think in terms of what we're seeing today, it's pretty amazing, pretty amazing in terms of the opportunities. Uh, for firms like ours, you know, uh, opportunities for tech to be a big part of of this uh, economy, uh, asset management, hedge funds, uh, private equity, uh, Toma Bravo, uh, Toma Bravo has basically moved down here as well. So I mean, it's just uh, pretty incredible uh, to, to to see it, um, and it was a favorable a favorable climate. You, you saw the, um, I forget who it was that uh, Mayor Suarez basically said, "How can I help you?" Right. <laughs> And, and and that tweet he has he has the socks that say how can i help you yeah, how can i help yeah. you and, <laughs> and and that's that's sort of the the mantra here you know uh come down how can i help you yeah so miami's always been a hub for latin america in terms of like a portal into the u.s mm -hmm. how do you see that or not working with you know this i i want to use this term lightly but it's funny you hear it a lot is the tech bros right which is like yeah. the the california type yeah, type of that product versus maybe more of like the the imports and the kind of more South American things you see. How do you see that or not see that, you know, fitting yeah. together? 
Yeah, so so Miami, uh, you're right. But Miami was always more of a re the regional offices for, for here. You never had your headquarters here. So now you are seeing these funds, these asset managers established. So that's a that's a big part of it. And and Latin America by default because of where Miami sits is is a direct link with that. Now, what I'm seeing right now are a couple of things from an inbound perspective coming into the United States. I think we're all aware of everything going on in Latin America. I mean, geopolitically, you see the elections in Colombia, uh, you're seeing what's happening in Ecuador, Peru, uh, Brazil, Mexico. You're seeing the United States continues to be probably the safest place to put your money in. So you're seeing a lot of capital inflow uh, coming here. And that's creating a lot of opportunities for us. I mentioned to you that I recently recently hired in tax Alfonso Bayete, who was the head of KPMG's Latin American uh, tax practice, and he joined us and moved down to Miami. He was in New York, and so Alfonso is uh, building a team and 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 really tapping into those opportunities. So we're seeing a lot of influx here. By the same time, by the same token, there was a great article today about the the increase in sales in EV cars in Brazil and Latin America, but the infrastructure needs that you need there. So I think that Latin America when looking at to invest, even though it's going through these cycles right now, you're still going to see opportunities, especially for firms like us, right? Because there's going to be a lot of workouts, a lot of trouble, but also a lot of opportunities to to pick up uh, clients that are picking up, uh, you know, potential uh, targets in jurisdictions. And then you have the, you have the infrastructure space, which I think is, is really a strong space for, for, for Latin, in Latin America. I say that with one caveat, depending on how far these you know geopolitical shifts occur, that could certainly have a really negative effect, right? So I think that's something to keep in mind. But I think it's it's prime for for a lot of you know opportunities, both outflow outbound going into Latin America as well as inbound. And I think Miami is going to play a huge role in in that process going forward. Yeah, that's interesting that you mentioned EVs because being in automotive practice, that's near and dear to my heart, right? And it's funny that you mentioned that because one of the challenges is price and distance um, are have been achieved really with the cars, but the charging, which is tied to the infrastructure, to your point, is still right. their one big variable that they haven't been able to, to get a hold of. That's right. So if, if we stick with that, that theme that you were talking about, what are you seeing just more broadly then in global markets uh, post-COVID? I know you said, obviously, the big concentration of yeah. business for a and tax is going to be in the states and in, and in europe but i know you have a pulse on everything else that's going on yeah. what have you been seeing uh, macroeconomically yeah you know on a macro level well if you look at it from our business for example uh, m a private equity you know until recently it, it has slowed down now especially with the feds increasing you know uh, rates but it's been really just going gangbusters ever since the summer of 2020 we haven't stopped. I mean, if you look at the numbers that our transaction advisory practice or PEPI practice and our tax M&A practice, it's just unbelievable. I think that's going to slow down a bit that's a, you know, because of just the way things are. Um, I think restructuring is they're they're chomping at the bit for 2023. I think they're they're salivating at what this could look like for them in 2023. And then corporate spending could, could slow down because of interest rates. But from a geopolitical perspective i don't know if you followed what the uk just did they just passed a new act which is meant to really stimulate um demand in the uk with lowering taxes trying to stimulate the economy so each country now germany france italy the major players the g7 they're going through their own internal struggles and they keep changing things and 
by this, it creates a lot of uncertainty for our clients, which actually, believe it or not, helps us in helping them navigate through this uncertainty. Because a lot of our clients today are going through rapid change, as you know, and so the transformation is is really happening at a quick pace. And at the same time, most of these jurisdictions, these countries are changing a lot of their policies. So we're seeing a lot of uh, activity from clients that want to understand what are the ramifications uh, if this policy would go through in the UK or if this policy would go through in Germany or if this policy happens in Latin America. So a lot of geopolitical stuff, um, I mean, if you look at the forecasting, Europe doesn't look good. We're talking about stagflation in Latin America for the most part. So I think that um, your, your guess is as good as mine as to whether this is going to be a soft landing, hard landing, medium landing. You know, I keep talking about that, but a lot of uncertainty and, and, and you know, and geopolitical issues are really around the world. You know, it's interesting that that's one of the great things about consulting is uncertainty for everybody else usually translates into certainty for us. That's right. <laughs> but, That's right. But especially for us because of restructuring, right? I've heard a lot of people at the firm say that rest our restructuring practice is kind of our secret weapon, secret weapon because a lot of the restructuring that's done is done by more boutique-ish firms. And so bigger firms can't pivot to that kind of work when the, the restructuring work comes, right? They just have to cut and strip. So it's... Yeah. There's no firm out there. There's no firm out there, whether you look at the big four or whether you look at the MBBs, there's no firm out there that has the perfect hedge that we do during good times and not so good times. You know, um, and then the, the beauty of it is that restructuring um, during bad times, there are stuff that the rest of the practice can piggyback off of that, right? Because you, you, you are unwinding companies, you are selling pieces of companies. So that brings your transaction advisory, brings your tax, it brings your corporate consulting. So um, and then the focus that the focus the firm undertook over the last five years, uh, focusing on industry, right? Uh, your your automotive, industrial, consumer. Uh, I think that's going to bode very well uh, as things continue to unfold. Yeah, no, they're they're very Tony and Brian have been very strategic as they've set up those those different verticals. Yeah. So in terms of uh, preparing for the future, uh, we you and I talked about this a little bit last week. How do you see young talent, and by young, I would say, you know, let's say early career, five years or less, as well as Hispanic talent, which would be all levels, as as target demographics for recruiting? Like, the, what what is the value you see in each of yeah. those, maybe separately? Yeah, no, I see. Listen, young talent. Um, you know, when you look at when we look at our, our our strategy, you have on campus recruiting and you have experience recruiting. I mean, and it it might differ a little bit among division, but it's critical, I think, for for all for all divisions and. And certainly it's a big part of our process. Now, um, I think the challenge we have with everybody else is onboarding these, these individuals, but making sure how do you develop their careers? How do you make sure they stay here? And how do you make, how do you make sure they progress? Okay. Uh, with respect to Hispanics, I, I my, my personal view is, I think we do a decent job of recruiting them from school. I think when you look at over a long period of time, they start falling off during the process. I think we got to do a better job of making sure they see a career track here that they're motivated and can stay. And I think that's something that certainly on our part, and it's not Hispanics only. I can say the same thing, but about, about females, you know, women. So I think there's a lot of things that we can do better to make sure that we keep them here and we 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 work with them on their progression going forward, because we do a good job of bringing them to the door. I think we got to do a better job of of keeping them and working with them as their year as their career progresses. 
Yeah, and that's something that HLA would love to be a part of. So hopefully we can yeah. continue to do that. And you know, we were talking about secret weapons. That's one of the things I love about HLA is that a lot of us speak other languages, right? So that's kind of like our little secret weapon is our ties to uh, Latin America and the different countries. No, I think I think HLA as well as other you know um, resource groups are a huge part of you know working with the talent that we bring in and experienced hires as well. Experienced hires that that you know keeps them here and helps you know develop them uh, over their career. Yeah. Um, I, I dug up another interview from one time, and you said that recruits have to have integrity, passion, and intelligence. And I wanted yeah. to ask you, are those in order on purpose, and why? Yeah, I, I think I think when you look at our business, it's all about our reputation. I mean, you know, we don't we're not manufacturing a widget and a manufacturing product. I think that um, it's all about you know your integrity, your reputation, and I think that could be lost very easily in in our world. I mean, and so I make sure to no, same way I tell my my kids, you know, one, you know, one thing could really set you back tremendously. I tell our, our people as well as that. I mean, a lot of our people are, are dealing with confidential information. Uh, they're dealing with, uh, you know, with um, with things that um, if left to, you know, uh, a different mindset could be used in, in, a, in a not not a very, you know, ethical matter. So I think integrity is is huge. I mean, you you see it today when you think about A&M and people talk about Tony and Brian, I think they've created a firm where they have tremendous following because of their integrity and, and the reputation that they build over time. Passion, I, I think, you know, I, I don't know how you do this. You know, I believe it or not, September 16th uh, of this year was my 30th year anniversary of getting into this profession. Okay, I walked into those double doors at Arthur Anderson on September 16, 1992. Okay, so um, to do it as long as, you know, I mean, to me, you have to be passionate at whatever you do and you have to love what you do. And I think one of the things that I've enjoyed over my career has been, it's challenging, it's demanding, as we all know, right? We got to travel and everything else, but each client is different. You meet different people, uh, the connections and the, and, and the relationships. So you got to have passion and what you do. And then, you know, the mindset has to be of, you know, to me, you, you have to have that mindset of solving problems and, and working things. That's that's how we add the value. So that that ability to to think uh, I always tell I always tell people it's OK to bring me a problem, but I want you to bring me potential solutions, even if those solutions are basically far, you know, <laughs> they don't make any sense. I want to see that you thought about how I break this down and, and solve the issue. So those to me are, are sort of the critical, you know, you have other ones like emotional intelligence and, and, and everything else. But I think that problem solving mindset uh, and passion uh, tied with integrity, I think if you think of every successful professional you see out there, I think you'll see all three of them end up. That's great. I, I, I only say that because a lot of people would think, oh, well, intelligence should be first, right? Because you have to know what you're doing. But I, I, I love that explanation of the order. Okay, I got one more quote with you for you, and then we're going to turn over some time for folks on the on the call to ask questions. But this is a quote I have from you: "A good partner is one that makes partners." You want to comment on that? Absolutely. I that's I I learned that uh, very early on in my career. Um, there's nothing that gives me the most pleasure than seeing our people grow, and I think that uh, it's our. I think it's. I grew up in an organization where stewardship, in other words, leave the organization in a better place when the time comes for you to leave. 
and you can't do it overnight. So you got to build it. So I think that the, you know, um, a sign of a good partner is one that has made partners because I think in doing that, there's self, there's, there's coaching, there's mentoring, selflessness, because um, you don't make partner unless I think you're some, some, some selfless because, you know, it, it means, you know, the, the pie, you, you're making a partner to be a creative, but at the same time, um, you're, you're, you're giving up something. Um, and, and so I, I think, I think that we'll uh, feel very strongly about that, that uh, a sign of a good partner is one of the mixed partners. Same with the intelligence, right? You would think sometimes a good partner is one that just beats everybody up, right? You don't think about, about right. lifting others, right? It's counterintuitive. Yeah. Yep. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to Cafecito so you never miss a new episode. Also, visit our website at alvarezandmarsal.com to learn more and to connect with us.